What are the most amazing running and hiking routes in the world? Who did them and how fast? Welcome to the exciting new world of fastest known time, commonly known as FKTs. This podcast is produced by fastestknowntime.com, a website where you find out what's new and cool, plus track FKT efforts taking place right now. On this podcast, we'll meet the remarkable athletes who have established some of the best FKTs, ask them how they did it, and find out what it means to them. And we won't waste any of your time. The Fastest Known Podcast delivers great info to you in just 30 minutes so you can get back to your run, which of course is more important. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast with another special edition, this time with Peter Backwin. Peter's the only person to do the double hard rock and the first person to go under four days on the John Muir Trail, plus many other races and FKTs. And Peter is one of the co-founders of this website and this podcast. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Buzz. And while you also have a PhD in physics from Harvard, we're going to save the technical advice and history episode for a later broadcast. This week, we're going to focus on, is there an interface between running and spiritual practice? And this is something that you've thought and practiced yourself quite a bit. That is true. I think I probably got into spiritual practice because of running. Oh, it's not the other way around. So you, you, you currently have a very active spiritual practice, Diamond Heart, I believe, but, it, but the one came before the other. Running led you in a further direction. That's right. Yeah, I had some uh, experiences running very, very long distances that at first I couldn't explain, probably still couldn't explain, but um, got me curious about what was going on. I think many runners have these types of experiences. The simple one being the runner's high. The runner's high. Now, of course, there is a biochemical aspect to that. There possibly is something more. And a good example is you were the very first person, as I mentioned, to go under four days on the fabled John Muir Trail. And you had kind of hit rock bottom at one point. You were on the rivet. <laughs> and what happened at that point? Uh, yeah, well, um, got to the, the infamous Tuolumne Meadows. is like 26 miles from the end where you and I also had a horrible crash because of weather uh, a few years earlier. But anyway, um, I was just worked. I'd been going for over 80 hours straight um, without very much sleep. And I was got into Tuolumne Meadows and found my crew people and basically fell on the ground and I was dehydrated and shivering and telling my wife she should probably take me to the hospital. Wow, you, you didn't just hit bottom. You were ready, <laughs> you were ready to <laughs> go to the next step there. And uh, then I took a little nap and um, said, well, let's see if we can walk up the trail up to Cathedral Pass and um, started heading up there. And actually pretty pretty soon I started to feel pretty much great. And um, I was with uh, a couple other people who were pacing me. And all of a sudden, you know, they were chatting and strolling along looking at the flowers. And all of a sudden they had to sort of shut up and, and concentrate to keep up. And... Um, yeah, so that lasted until I got down into the valley, which was maybe like 2 or 3 a.m. And um, 
you know, at the time it was just like, oh, cool, now I can finish my thing. But uh, afterwards, I was sort of like, uh, what the heck was that? What happened? That's a great story. And as you alluded to, these stories exist in the culture, don't they? Throughout the history of running literature and culture, there are stories like this. So there must be some common thread or a reason behind them. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think many people have these experiences. And like me in the beginning, we usually just say, oh, cool, now I can finish my event. And that was great, you know, and sort of we, we co-opt them to ourselves. We, um, the, whereas in the experience, it's quite clear that something is happening that is beyond the personal self, beyond what you, th- what you uh, can do through your personal efforts. Well, the Sakyong uh, Mipam, who is, the, of course, the lineage holder for uh, a particular sect of Tibetan Buddhism, has run nine marathons, and he wrote a book called Running with the Mind... Uh, I'm sorry, the book is called Running with the uh, Mind of Meditation. So do you have any thoughts on that? He wrote a whole book, and of course, he's a, a spiritual teacher. He's been doing this for decades. He has a 305 marathon. What what's your take on his perspective? Yeah, I read his book a while ago. Um, so most of my experience has been more ultra-endurance stuff, so going for literally days and days versus trying to, you know, optimize performance or over a short, shorter distance like a marathon. And But reading his book, I think he sort of comes to the conclusion that... that um, running and meditation are like different. Um, he says running is training for the body and meditation is training for the mind, which is certainly true. And he's obviously a renowned expert on meditation. Um, but I think my experience is that as you get longer and longer, running can become more like meditation. Um, running very, very long distances is a more and more kind of mental process. And so you need, you do need to be, it is training for the mind at that point. As you saw with your interview with um, Sanjay about the 3,100 mile race in New York. That takes us up in distance, doesn't it? So the 3,100, 3,100 miles, and he has some you know important things. He has some key things to say about that, which is, quote, it's a different set of capabilities. And, of course, there's the, the, the famous joke, ultra running is, uh, what, what was it? It's like uh, 90% mental and uh, 10% physical, something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. And it, so when you get to that extreme distance, what you're saying is it shifts. It shifts more and more over. And then there also can be, not just on the day-to-day basis or the average incident, but there can be what that name, what the name of the race is, self-transcendence. So you think that's possible, and something like that happened to you on the John Muir Trail. Yeah, I know it's possible because it's happened to me multiple times, and I observe it in other people, and you can see it in that movie with the, the, um, the, main, char- the main person in the movie who is... I mean, if you just watch him run, you can see the meditative state happening in that guy as he's running around the block. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's a few questions that, uh, that come up for me. There's transcendence, and you have to break through some physical, egoic boundary, possibly. But there's also hurting yourself, <laughs> right? I mean, let's, let's be frank. People can hurt themselves, and they can do harmful things to their body. How do you tell the difference? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question because usually, in my experience, you do have to push up against those boundaries, those perceived and actual physical, and mental, and emotional limitations in order for the transcendence to happen. Um, so it's not always a healthy thing. And I've, I've said um, that, uh, you know, it's, it's a good path to transcendence, running is, um, but possibly not the most uh, compassionate one for oneself, not the kindest one to oneself. And uh, I remember Ramdas had a great comment, as he often had these wonderful <laughs> one-liners, which was, once you get the message, hang up the phone. Hmm. Right. Right. It's, and he was referring, I think, in part to the drug culture. And yeah. That, so and that's... he and Timothy Leary were, were locked into this, if I may say so, the 50s version of America, which was fairly materialistic-oriented. And they took psychoactive drugs. And they saw something else. And then I think what he was alluding to, once you see it, okay, time to manifest it, time to go do it, but you don't have to keep getting that message. You don't have to keep taking drugs. Yeah, in fact, I think he, the, um, they, those guys would lock themselves in a room and take LSD for weeks on end. And what they always found was once the drug wore off, so did the state. So um, he got curious, I think, at some point about what is this state and do I need to take a drug to to uh, actualize it. Right. And indeed, he stopped taking drugs entirely and went to India and took up meditation practice. That's right. Yeah. But uh, does that mean you're going to stop running? And uh, <laughs> Not no, yet. No. Because um, I like running. And also, there's the question of um, transcendent states, and then there's a question of actualization, which means... Can you, can you live your life from that place? And those are two different things, really. I mean, these guys sit on a cushion and they transcend. They are, are in the oneness of reality. And then they get up off the cushion and they can't necessarily um, cook a meal in that place, brush their teeth in that place. So... The, the practice is different for actualizing, being able to live from that place of transcendence. And I think running is one way we can, we can practice that because it's a very simple activity. Um, doesn't take a lot of thinking. In fact, it tends to calm the mind, which is good for this kind of thing. So, and you can do it anywhere. And you can do it anywhere, any weather. Plus, it's, it is, you know, if you're not overdoing it, as I have tended to do it, from time to time, um, it is good for your health and your body. And right, let's st let's stick with with that uh, the boundary line again, which is I think it's very tricky. Um, people can get hurt, although the uh, the the science on it is there's been some controversial studies that 
definitely did not conclude that a lot of running becomes bad for you, but it was reported as such. I just want to note, mm-hmm. I've looked at these studies, and that is not the conclusion that they draw. But yet there is what I will term a negative psychological profile that any athlete, any individual, and I think particularly ultra runners can enter into, and that's when you don't feel good about yourself, you, you, which is common human condition, and you enter into an activity trying to feel good about yourself by achieving some sort of success, and you keep going after it, going after it, without necessarily addressing the core reason for that belief, for that unconscious mm-hmm. belief. And by not addressing the real core issue, you never solve the equation, and you might do a lot of running, and it can become something of a shadow activity where the mm-hmm. joy can go away and you're really just recreating your psychological profile. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think we should be clear that most people who are running are not doing it because they want to achieve transcendence. They're doing it for some other reason. Um, and I think what you just said, you could say also about fame, success, money, lots of different things. And of course, people uh, chase those things. And of course, attracting young members of the opposite sex by running 100 miles without stopping. Let's not forget that. That's super. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> or not. But um, I think what's, Im- what's important is, you know, if you are interested in transcendence, or even if you're not, is that... Um, when you're, if you're coming from that ego-driven place that you described, and I think um, you know, many of us can recognize that in ourselves, um, if you just keep pursuing it, you may eventually run into um, these types of states that we're talking about. And then you have it that gives you an opportunity. Um, you can, Use that to shore up your ego by saying, wow, I did well in that race because something happened. I don't know what it was, but cool. I did that. Or you can get curious about that state. And follow it. And follow it. So, you know, being in that ego condition of churn and, and um, self-rejection, self-rejection, I'm not good enough is not necessarily, you know, if that's where you find yourself, it's not necessarily a bad thing, although it's characterized by suffering. It's just where you are. Um, And if you're open and curious about that, actually, um, some spiritual folks will say things like, uh, it's all about making yourself accident-prone. And they're talking about spiritual accidents. Hmm. So when the bell rings, when the door opens, you're going to walk through the door and see what's there. Exactly. But you can't make the door open. You can't surrender your ego. That just doesn't happen. Because if you were to try to do that, you'd be doing it from an ego place. So um, all you can do is make yourself prone to that happening by practice. That's what spiritual practice is all about. Interesting. Becoming... uh, open to uh, opportunity. Well, it's an interesting conversation, Peter, because it, it goes the other direction also. We, we know people, for example, in terms of running, and I'll, I'll just say this, 
how much someone weighs really affects performance. You know, if someone is really lightweight, very lean, their performance can go up a little bit, which at world-class levels is meaningful. Now, for most people, there's 41 million runners in the United States, don't try to do this. You know, be happy, be healthy, be who you are. But at those upper levels, it makes a difference. And then we've seen some people, and we know of them, who've gone off the deep end in that direction. And they've uh, become quite lean and quite successful for limited periods of time. And then some of them have been hospitalized after that. Yep, that's true. There's all kinds of ways of the, the you know, um, those types of insecurities can manifest. And they're certainly not always um, healthy on the physical level. And you had a nice observation to me a number of years ago when we were discussing this very subject. My son Galen, you said, well, he's he's extremely good runner, but he's never going to be great because he doesn't have enough emotional baggage. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was uh, entirely accurate because now I, you seem to see a lot of really good runners is, and who seem to be quite well adjusted. Um, but I think there is, as you pointed out earlier, a type of person who is driven by their anxiety and their their need to achieve and all of that. Um. Well, between the two extremes, self-transcendence, which you describe you experience, and it's in the running culture, it's in the running history, and the dark side of that, which is simply propping up one's negative emotional profile, there's something in between, if I may suggest. And Chris McDougall identified it brilliantly, born to run. There's a certain biological naturalness regarding movement. And his book title is, I think, good. It is possible we were born to run. And that just like eating, drinking, and sleeping, running could have its own positive attributes with no other explanation needed. Yeah, I actually believe that's very true. I mean, you just look at the anatomy. People there, they are definitely designed to move fairly quickly at a running or fast walking gait. And again, the movie that we were referencing earlier, there's the segment about the Bushmen that hunt by running. Um, I think many traditional cultures, running is important. And it seems to me that if you're doing what you're biologically designed to do, you're going to tend to be happy. Dogs, same thing. Put them out in nature and let them run, and they just, they're stoked. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're not whipping those dogs. I mean, just like the Iditarod. Some people think, uh, oh, boy, you're hurting those dogs. Their dogs, they're ready to roll. They're ready to roll, and they're also biologically programmed to to, um, be in relationship with humans and to do what the humans want them to do, to have a job, you know. So, so the, the dogs that are pulling your sled, I think they're happy because they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. Guess this, that's how I feel when I do my four miles in the morning. I'm doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sanjay Rawal had a really good one-liner in our discussion with him, happiness through exertion. Mm-hmm. And he says that's an ancient philosophy. That's, a, that's an interesting point, isn't it? That, that exists in tradition. 
Yeah, I mean, it's proven over over in my experience. Well, speaking of your experience, um, uh, you you don't race. People comment <laughs> on this. Uh, hmm. It's uh, people actually have asked me if you eat or drink water. I said, no, Peter's really a breatharian now. He doesn't need <laughs> food or water. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure if I'm kidding or not. But you run on average two hours every day, and you do not enter races. And you said that was because if you entered a race, and correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but that would be in an external motivation. You're not sure if you could maintain your sense of internal equilibrium and balance in the face of an external motivation, you wanted it to be entirely internal, self-driven, so you were always at peace and doing exactly what felt right. Wow, did I say that? That sounds really <laughs> smart. Well, maybe I, I think maybe I extrapolated. I think but. it's mostly because I'm just getting too old. I I'll see. never set another PR, <laughs> so why, why bother? And also, um, races are you know kind of like I, I like staying home. And races tend to be not in the place where I live. and So the know. race, okay, <laughs> people, you heard it here. So we're going to start a new race in Boulder. It's going to start in front of Peter and Steph's front door. We'll get Peter and Steph back on the starting line again. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And I, I, I tend, frankly, to be a very um, uh, socially withdrawn person. And so, um, you know... You get me in a group of like 100 people running down a trail, and I'm like, well, I could be doing this without all these people. And it would, you know, so that's just sort of my <laughs> my natural tendency. Right. Well, two hours a day is solid. You're very fit. As everyone who has ever gone out with you can, uh, as noted, you're extremely fit, you're really good, and you, you tend to... Uh, just go with whatever's happening at the time. So whatever pace someone else is going, you easily adjust to it, even if you're considerably faster than that. You have a very easy way of of being in the running world. Well, thank you, Buzz, and um, I strive for that. I Because I'm not... One aspect of not racing is that I don't have a program. I don't need to have a program. I don't need to have a training schedule. So I'm just going out because I enjoy it. I like running. I don't really care about running. I don't follow race results and all this stuff, but I'd like to do it. So um, that's why I'm out. And I like it. It seems that I like to run for about two hours and occasionally much longer than that. But I, I don't think I'm probably going to ever run all night again, <laughs> especially not more than one night. But um, two hours is awesome. <laughs> get, get a lot done you know, the trails flat irons mountains it takes a little longer if you're going up Long's Peak or something but yeah it's a couple hours you found your sweet spot mm-hmm. so I could ask what what's next that's our tradition on this podcast <laughs> is to say what's next but you might have just described it mm-hmm. uh, what's next yeah. is what you're doing right now yes that's true I mean I still have projects and you could view them as being competitions and as you know um, certain projects in the Flatirons which um, we worked on together this past summer and I'm still really into those and I I just like them because of the planning and you know trying to figure out what's possible 
Um, and, you know, just running up and down flat irons is, and, and figuring out how to link them up and stuff is just super fun. So it gives me some kind of focus. Um, I know there's guys like Kyle Richardson and Anton who are just way faster than me in the flat irons or anywhere else. And so it's not really competitive to me. It's just, I like the, the structure of trying to figure out, you know, um, how to do these link ups and etc. You get to learn where you live intimately. Yes. Yeah. And be, um, kind of off the beaten track in a very popular, um, quasi urban park, the city of Boulder up in space mountain parks, which is one of the most heavily used, um, heavily visited, uh, city parks in the world, I suppose. But if you go a little ways off the trail, you can get, it can feel quite remote. Six million user days a year. So they say. <laughs> and a lot of dogs. <laughs> and a lot of dogs. And when we were doing our project this last, this spring, let's see, we saw like five people, wasn't it? And it was 18 hours. We were out 18 <laughs> hours. I think we saw five people over 18 hours, and we were right there within sight of the city in the city mm -hmm. limits. Yeah, and it was super fun, didn't you think? It was fun. Even though we didn't finish the project, it didn't really matter at all. It was just, you know, we did what, what we could do, and it was really fun. It was indeed, Peter. And I uh, personally look forward to, hopefully, many more. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've you and I, we go back... 20 plus years and had a lot of amazing adventures, which I really value and uh, have very much shaped my views on this whole thing, actually. Um, discussions we've had about how to do projects uh, together over all of that time. So thanks. Thank you, Peter. It's been <laughs> terrific. And the FKT website project is also super fun. So I'm glad to be involved with that with you. Right. Likewise. Thanks, Peter. Look forward to, uh, let's revisit this again in another few months. I hope you've gotten some good ideas for your next big run. Subscribe to this podcast so you can find out what's cool every week. It will be delivered to you each Friday. And definitely go to fastestknowntime.com to read the notes from this show and ask questions or make comments on what you've heard today. There are FKTs being reported daily that are incredible, but you maybe have never heard of them. So stay up on what is happening on this website and follow us on Twitter, the Gram, and Facebook. Many people have thanked us for this work, and you can too by clicking support this site at the bottom of the webpage. Tune in next Friday. It's going to be fast and good.